0: All right. The book of Acts. Who's with me? (laughs) Woo! All right. Because we're talking about the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit and the church. We're talking about the early church and what was happening in the book of Acts and what God was doing in a new way in this movement that we call today the church. And uh, and we're going to hop into it this morning. Last week we talked about some key ideas. We talked about the, the community that was happening in the early church, right? They, were, they had unity. They had unity in spirit. They had unity in generosity. And, and in this season also, we saw that, um, that there was a fear of the Lord that was happening in the early church that, uh, that, that continued to bring community. More and more people kept added to their number, thousands and thousands of new believers in Jesus Christ, and uh, and the apostles were were doing miraculous signs and all sorts of great things were happening in the in the power of the Holy Spirit, and um and this this morning I want to encourage you on a couple things. One, um, if you haven't been joining us on this journey, we uh, and when we started this year, we decided that this year was going to be the year in the Word for us here at New Hope, and uh, and we wanted to resource. Our church family to get into God's Word and spend time in God's Word daily, not just once a week. Because if you come on Sunday and it's the only time you hear the Bible, it's kind of like spiritually eating just one time. You know, if you only spiritually eat one time in the week, the rest of the week you're going to starve, right? Imagine if you did that in real life, like your body, if you would like be crumbling away. And so spiritually, if we don't feed ourselves and spend that time, our, our faith actually goes down, we want to engage with God every single day. We want to walk in those disciplines. And so that's why we created the this. It's it's the sermon series guide. And, um, and on it, it has, you know, some tools to spend daily time with God. On the back, it has a reading plan. So those of you who have been doing this, awesome. Thank you for doing it because you're reading what you're going to hear about the following Sunday, right? That's the part of the reading plan. So when you show up, Just you know, as pastors, it's not intimidating. We're excited that you've already read it, (laughs) that you already are in it, and um, and so then we can mine out even more uh, from those passages. So I encourage you to keep doing that. And on the bottom is our memory verses. We want to hide God's word in our hearts and in our minds, and so that when things come up in life, we can be reminded because it's already in there. God already put it in there. We put it in there, and we, we um, use self-discipline to do that. So I, I want to remind us of, of the first half of this series, Memory Verse, which is Acts 1-8. Anybody memorize it? You got some, a few people? All right. Okay, a few star stickers. Good job. All right, so so this is what, a, what Acts 1-8 is. And let's all read this out loud together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, "...and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." That's the first half of this series, Memory Verse, because this is the outline for the whole book of Acts. We're, We're now reading through the story of the apostles and now the new Christ followers being full of the Holy Spirit, and that they are becoming the witnesses of Christ himself, right? And then they're starting to spread this word to, right now, so far in the story, in Jerusalem, in the Holy City. That's where they all are. But we're going to now turn the page on the story today. Is when the story starts and to where this movement and this witness starts spreading to other places. And God God allowed something to happen to make that happen, to make the spreading begin as we go through this. So we're moving from Jerusalem into the Judea and Samaria uh, starting today and starting this morning. Um, So as we get into this, let me ask you a question. Did any of you, like when you were a kid, did you believe something or think something that later on in life or when you became an adult, you found out wasn't true? Right? Okay, I'm not going to mention any holidays, okay? So, um, but some of you... (laughs) You know what I'm saying when I'm saying that, right? Like, but it, like it can be like silly stuff. I remember when I was younger as a kid, the the national anthem. Anthem. I thought was, we were singing to a guy named Jose. Jose can you, s-? Like, like. Oops, I didn't. I didn't realize that for a long time. I didn't understand what 24/7 meant, and uh, and I, I would just throw out numbers just randomly, like 28 9. You know, I'm doing it like. Eh, and I realized, oh wait, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you just learned that just now, welcome. All right. Um, Because I was 17 when I figured that one out, all right? So, like, there's things like that. I was like, what? I didn't realize even what we were saying. We were like that. Or we believe things as a kid. Nikki was telling me a story about her and her sister. Sorry, Sandy, I'm throwing you here. So, like, that that Nikki grew up um, having a rocking chair, and she was told by her sister that that rocking chair belonged to Abraham Lincoln. And if you're young and moldable, you believe it. And you think, oh, my gosh, I've got Abraham Lincoln's chair. And so she, like, told her friends, you know, I, I, my rocking chair is, was Abraham Lincoln's chair. And then finally, later on, she found out it wasn't actually. And then, she, you know, you feel like a fool. It's like, you lied to me. And your whole childhood is crushed. So it's counseling, all sorts of things, right? So, but like some of us, it's it's like actually a bigger deal than that because the question is is for us like have there been things in your life that you believed about God or about like Jesus and later on in life you found out well that wasn't even right that wasn't even true but I, it was tradition or it was the church like whatever it was and then later on you're like wait a minute has anybody had that experience right there's been a lot of a lot of people here at New Hope who uh, you've accepted Christ later in your life you know this journey for you is new but you've lived a lot of life and and you could wish you could go back and tell your young self, oh, I need to tell you about Jesus, you know? But you know, even if you went back and told yourself at that age, you probably would have been like, nah. See, we're getting into this part of the story where something uh, pretty intense is about to happen in the early church. And it's this, this tension between these new Christ followers um, who have seen Jesus or now they're hearing about Jesus and, and this whole thing is brand new. And then you have this these um, Jews and Jewish leaders who are, are threatened by this new thing that's showing up and, and this new miraculous, and it, like, they don't know what to do with it and what box to put it in. And so we see this tension between these two groups, one very religious and, and, uh, and one that feels very free and community-driven. And so you have this tension between. Now, some of these Jews um, believed the message, and became Christ followers. And that's the first church was Jewish believers. So they, they came to accept Jesus as their Messiah. And then there was a whole other group of Jewish and Jewish leaders that were like, no, we don't believe that because we believe our Messiah is going to look like this. And he didn't look like that. And so now they were threatened by this new thing, this new way. They called it the way that was showing up. Um, so imagine being like a, a strong... Jewish leader, because they weren't they weren't raised with it just being like this a side thing. it wasn't like we go to synagogue and this is what we do like for them, their beliefs were a part of every aspect of their life right they were indoctrinated with every piece of the of the Jewish faith and all the things that they did, all the rituals, all the worship and the temple and, and doing certain uh, prayers that they had to do all the time, and it came, and it developed their whole culture, their whole heritage, their whole family. It affected their diet, what they did and did not eat, um, their relationships and who they talked to and didn't talk to, how they worshiped, what they read in the Torah, daily rituals. Like, this was a, this was a, all of who they were is their identity. And so when we see this push against, I mean, sometimes it's easy just to look at these Jewish leaders and be like, man, those guys were jerks. But when we see what they were experiencing and we see the culture that they were raised in, Mm. some of these responses are natural. Because imagine if I pushed against your whole childhood and your whole culture and like preached to you something that you're like, whoa, 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 I don't believe that or we didn't believe that or no way that could be. We would probably have some of those same like kind of frustrating anger kind of things. Just like, you know, finding out that your rocking chair wasn't Abraham Lincoln's. It's like, wait a minute. Now, some of them found that out, and they believed. And some found out and became angry. And that's what we're going to see in the story today when we get into uh, this next step, as, as these Jewish leaders are being threatened by this new work of the Holy Spirit and what God was doing. So we're going to hop right in uh, to Acts chapter 6. Okay, We're going to start in Acts chapter 6, go to 7. And um, I'm going to wrap up just a little bit of chapter 8, okay? I'm going to try to use our time well as we do that together. So if you're with me uh, in Acts chapter 6, I would encourage you to always bring your Bibles with you or open your Bible app um, and join in reading in this. I know I read it up here, and that's great. But again, I want you to be in the habit of reading it yourself and having wherever you read that during the week. So I would encourage you to open it with me. All right, so we're jumping now into the story. All right, Acts chapter 6. And last week, this this started, Acts chapter 6, started with the apostles um, being very busy and this new church, and they're trying to figure out how to lead this thing. And then we had these uh, widows from this Jewish group of believers over here saying, but they're getting missed out on the distribution of food to this group over here. And the apostles said, well, we're going to choose seven, and we're going to pray over them, and we're going to commission them by the Holy Spirit to go and minister and do those works because that, when we see biblically, it's like the work of a deacon. Like, they're doing the, the day-to-day operations, work of ministry. And they said, so we can focus on prayer and the Word as the apostles. And, uh, and so that's what they did. And they empowered seven. And one of these seven was this, name, this, this guy named Stephen. And that's where we're jumping in um, to the story right here in Acts 6, starting verse 7. All right. Is, are you with me? Say, yep. yep. All right. So the Word of God kept spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith, right? So some of these Jewish leaders, they saw it, and they experienced the Holy Spirit, and they became Christ followers. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So one of those seven that were chosen, Stephen, he's ministering in powerful ways but some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Syrians um, and Alexandrians and some of the, from uh, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. All right. So you see in Jerusalem, there wasn't just like one place where everybody worshiped. There were different synagogues with different kind of groupings of these Jews and Jewish leaders. And these were the ones that were called the freedmen because they were descendants of a a part of the Jewish nation that were freed from slavery in a certain season, right? So you have all these different groupings of Jews who also kind of believed different things. You think like this whole division thing in the church is new, right? (laughs) Like it's been happening since the beginning, right? There's there's, there's always been that tension. And so from one of these synagogues, we see these leaders coming up to Stephen and they're arguing with them. And they're, they're trying to, like, stump him um, because they don't like what he's presenting. But they were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit by which he was speaking. They couldn't keep up with him. Stephen was just like, speaking truth, fool the Holy Spirit, doing the miraculous, and they're like, we can't keep up with this guy. We're trying to stump him with all these arguments. We can't do it. It's so frustrating. Now, these Jewish leaders, just so you know, when we're, we're going to see this whole story with Stephen. A lot of the story with Stephen in this is, is very similar to the Jewish leader's story with Jesus. It, you'll see the same tensions, and you'll see actually the same outcome in this story. So now they're frustrated. They're like, Stephen's pushing against everything we believe. He's pushing against uh, our, our belief in the law of Moses, and he's pushing against... He's saying this Jesus is going like, to tear down the temple, and there's going to be a new temple. Like, they're all frustrated and angry at him. Then they secretly um, induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Like they're trying to come up with something. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. That's intense. (laughs) A big mob of people come in grabbing you and pulling you in front of their leaders, their council. So this is beyond just their synagogue. This is like the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man does not stop speaking against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses handed down to us. He said, And all who were sitting in the council stared at him, That would have been awkward. (laughs) Like, they're just staring at this guy. Because, and they saw his face, which was like the face of an angel. I don't think this is just like saying, like, Stephen was a good-looking guy, right? We don't know exactly what this meant. The only reference we have of some some picture like that, like somebody's face just, like, glowing, is Moses— When he was in the presence of God on the mountain, he came down and he had to cover his face because the glow of God was illuminating off of him. And we don't know what that looked like, but that's the only place I see where anything like this was happening. So here's Stephen, obviously, he's full of the Holy Spirit in a way that is um, for a purpose. And they, they can't argue with what he's saying, but they're trying to figure out a way. And now they're looking at him, staring at him, going, What is going on with this guy? He's looking like an angel. I mean, this guy's like, oh. Now the high priest said, are these things so? We're going to stop there for a moment. Are these things so? So now they're asking him. Now they're bringing him before court, and they want to know. are what they're saying, is this true? Is this what's going on? I I want to start with a point here. Because... Right after this, I'm not going to read the whole next section because it's, it's a long section. Uh, and if you were um, reading it throughout the week, you read this section where he gives an answer. Stephen starts going back to the story of their religion for the Jews. He goes back to Abraham. Abraham's a big deal. They're like, oh, Abraham started this whole thing. God gave Abraham promises, and then he goes from Abraham, and then he goes through the promises through, um, through Isaac, and then Isaac through Jacob, and then Jacob had the 12 sons, became the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And, and so, like, he goes through the whole history list, and they're like, yeah, we know this. We know what's going on. We, we know the story. We've been there. So he's telling them things they already know, but then he gets to Joseph because the 12 brothers, right, the brothers sold their, their, their brother Joseph into slavery, and then, then we know Joseph's story. He, he, you know, he uh, got to become a slave, the head of the household, and they got accused and they got thrown in prison and they became the head over all of Egypt. And he was saving Egypt from a famine and his brothers and their family came to Egypt to try to get saved in the middle of a famine. And the first time they saw Joseph, they didn't recognize him. And then they left and he said, go back and bring my, your other brother, bring your father with you. They come back a second time, and that's when he reveals himself to them. I'm Joseph. Woo! And so he's sharing this story, and they're like, yeah, we know this story. We know this story. We know how it goes. And then he goes to Moses. He said, And then that family grew and grew in Egypt, but they then became slaves in Egypt. And then God brought Moses, and Moses was there to save the people. And, uh, and in this process of trying to save the people, the people rejected the God that saved them. And he tells them the story of whenever Moses climbed up the mountain and he was with God and all the people were left behind, they made a golden calf and they worshiped an idol. And, and he's trying to set them up to say, and you guys are just the same. Like the lineage and, and their ancestors continually rejected God in the moments they should have pursued God. And they continue to reject the one that God brought to them to save them. If we dig deeper in that, he's saying, you guys rejected Jesus. And we're going to read that here in just a moment. So imagine being these Jewish leaders, and now are you more ticked off or less ticked off? Oh, you're more ticked off. Like, what are you—who are you to say these things to us? We've held to the law. We've held to the Torah. We believe the laws of Moses and our God in this temple. And because they've been indoctrinated in this, this their whole life and their identity, and that's being pushed against, and they're rejecting everything Stephen is saying. And they're getting more and more and more angry in this process. This is here's here's my first point because this these kind of things still happen today. This same kind of attitude still gets played out in churches all around the world today. There are people who are so indoctrinated into an understanding or into a religion or into a denomination that they miss Jesus in the process. And they get so much about the rules and the laws and making sure I look a certain way and all this kind of stuff. And they're hopeful that their good life and keeping to the letter of the law and not hanging out with people who don't look like them will get them and earn them an access to heaven. I mean, that's that's where they're at. And they'll say, well, I'm a Christian, but they're not. They're just religious, and they're just busy doing something to look good to try to earn their way to heaven. Here's my point number one, and it was for them, and it's still for us today. Religion and tradition will never save you. Religion and tradition will never save you. That's why we hold those two things very loosely here at New Hope. We're not about doing things for religious reasons. We don't gather because this is a good idea. Um, we're, well, we're definitely not traditional. Like, <laughs> if, if something ain't working, we stop doing it. And, and we don't want to get stuck in ruts where this is the way we've always done it. This is the way I grew up doing it. This is the way we're always going to do it because that's the way God likes it. What? I, I remember I grew up in the church, all right? So, like, since I was born. And I remember going to uh, a church meetings, church church gathering meetings where decisions were being made where people would stand up because they had to discuss if they were going to change a worship time from 9 a.m. to 9 30 and people would stand up and say God knows we meet at 9 a.m. and that's what we're supposed to do and that's what we've always done I'm like what are we arguing about you got to be kidding me God knows we meet at night. Yeah, he does. He also knows you'll meet at 9:30. And he knows when you wake up in the morning. And he knows, like, we would make tradition our religion. And the reality, none of that will ever save us. Looking a certain way, looking a certain part, doing more and looking good will never impress God. It didn't for them. For these Jews who were rejecting the message and the good news, they were rejecting the work of the miraculous and the Holy Spirit. They were rejecting a dude looking like an angel in front. Of them. They rejected it to the core because they were unwilling to soften their hearts before God. They had hard hearts before God. But they didn't understand their religion and their traditions were never going to be the way to get to their God. And so my first encouragement in this is, let's not be like those Jews and those Jewish leaders, right? Let's stay open to new understandings of God. There's things that I believed when I was younger that I look back at myself and say, man, why didn't anybody tell me? And like, I firmly believed. Like there were things that early on, you know, we've been here for 15 years. I've been pastoring here at New Hope. Early on when I became the preacher and I started preaching stuff, I look back at some of my sermons, I'm like, I would not preach as passionately about that thing that I preached, you know, 12, 13 years ago, that God has matured me and helped me see things in different ways. And I'm not talking about the foundational, like Jesus is the Savior, like Jesus died on the cross. I'm not talking about those kind of things. Those foundational things don't change. But our understanding of what God wants to do in us and through us, we should be growing. We should be changing. We should be open-handed to what He would want to do And so let's not lean on religion. Let's not lean on tradition. Let's not try to look the part or do the good things. Let's lean on Christ, the cornerstone that we sang about earlier. The only way that we are saved. Amen? Amen. That's the only way. And that's what Stephen was preaching. Jesus. He is the Messiah. So so we're going to go farther down, and we're going to jump back in into chapter 7. In verse 51, because Stephen doesn't pull any punches, <laughs> right? So he stories through their own story and he, he starts helping them understand you guys are just the same, right? And then he just here we go. You men are stiff necked and uncircumcised in your heart, and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. <clears throat> That's a right left, right? That's like a like you guys are no different than your ancestors. Right? You're stiff necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears. Now, we're not going to go into the circumcision talk. We did a lot of that in Galatians. All right? So, like, but the whole image was they were still living under their own flesh. Their hearts were covered by their own sin and their own sin nature. He said, You're stiff necked. Your heart is uncircumcised, I meaning it's still covered with your sin. And you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. I mean, you're quenching the work of God all the time. All the time. Keep reading. Which one of the prophets, uh, which one of the prophets, did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers of, and murderers of him. Whoa, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. He starts just right. He's like, he's like, you guys, like they're not going to get it. They're not becoming more and more receptive to the Word. They're becoming more and more rejecting of the Word because their hearts were completely out of place. They weren't soft to God's working in their heart. Their hearts were covered by their own, their own religion, by their own tradition, and by really their own sin, pride, and selfishness. They're bringing in false witnesses and they're thinking it's okay. That even goes against their own law of lying. Like, so they're breaking their own law to go against Stephen in this scene. Here's point number two a challenge for all of us is that, is that we would not be like these religious leaders. That when God brings conviction, don't harden your heart. That's what these leaders did by their tradition, their religion, their, everything that they believed. They hardened their heart to the Holy Spirit, is what he said. You've hardened your heart to the Holy Spirit and you were the ones that killed the prophets you're the, even the recent prophets like you killed them because you could not handle the word of god and the work of the holy spirit because it pushed against your own religion and your own idolatry of the torah of the temple of the they were worshiping what looked like god but they were actually putting an idol above god in their religion so my hope for all of us in this room is that we would not harden our hearts. The Holy Spirit works whenever our hearts are soft. When we're open to His leading, when we're open to His conviction, when, when there's something wrong in us or we're sinning in some way or, or there's something that we need to understand in a new way, that our hearts are ready and softened and say, okay, w- teach me, Holy Spirit. Teach me, God, because I want to grow. I want to grow. And here is Stephen And you'd think, why didn't Stephen, like, like, why wasn't he a little softer in his tone? Like, why wasn't he more, like, full of grace and, like, you know, everybody, you know, guys, just simmer down. Everything's okay, you know. Let me tell you a little bit more about Jesus. I think you're going to understand the more I say and the more I go. Why didn't he do that? Whenever you already know somebody's heart, and the Holy Spirit is already showing you that heart, I'll just be honest with you, it's impossible to change somebody's heart especially when their heart is hardened. And there have been so many times as a pastor that I have just headbutted with people in their own life that just made me shake my head like, you got to be kidding me. I remember early on in ministry, um, there was a young man, there was a young couple. Uh, they already had a couple of kids, and, um, and their marriage was on the rocks. And, and they were just struggling big time. And I come to find out the reason why is because he, as the husband, um, was continually just looking at pornography which then led to actually uh, living those things out in affairs every week. He'd find somebody new to be with other than his wife. And yet he says, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm a Christ follower. And and I tried to counsel him for months and help him get out of the addiction that he was in. And the entire time, he just kept saying, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. And he'd be like, well, maybe I should. And he would start to like act like, and then next week, he'd do the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm like, man. I, so, just so you know, past, we're humans. Pastors are humans. And I remember just being in front of him one time, and I just let him have it. I had a Stephen moment. We're just like, you are so selfish. You don't care about anybody but you. And I just went off on him. Trying to think, is this going to break it? Is he going to wake up a little bit? And still, nothing. And it's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for him. They ended up getting a divorce, and I don't know where he ended up, to be honest with you, because he just, he just walked away, and he walked away from everything. I hope later God brought some conviction his heart with I I don't know that story. I know his wife's story, that she found another man, and she got Remarried and was in a safe place in a safe relationship, and I'm like, because her heart was soft, and she wanted what God wanted in her life. you get into these seasons, and you get with people who are unwilling to change. And, and the reason I'm telling that story is because it is so hard, if, if not impossible, for us as humans, to soften a hardened heart. It only takes God and His work by his miraculous power, love, and grace, and kindness on somebody to soften a heart. And here's Stephen. He's like, your hearts are already so hardened. It's like a rock that God will not and cannot enter in because of you, your choice. It says this in, in, uh, in James 4, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Meaning, with, if you live in pride and hardened heart—, and heart You are already in opposition to God himself. It's going to be like this over and over and over. And then when God tries to bring conviction, if you're proud, you're going to be fighting back. No. Conviction, no. Conviction, no. My word, my encouragement for all of us is let's not be like that. When God brings conviction, don't harden your heart. Live open-handed with a heart ready to receive what God wants to say, even if that word is very difficult for you to receive. Would you choose to humble yourself before God and before others? Because I would rather be on the side of favor than on opposition with God. Right? All right. This is a little heavy. You guys are really quiet. <laughs> and, um, and I don't know if this morning some of you my prayer this morning was that the Holy Spirit would be convicting you. If there's something that you need to be free from, if there's sin you need to confess to God, if there's ways that you're like, I have been hard-hearted about this circumstance, situation, or I've been struggling with this, but I kind of reject God and just kind of keep doing my, like, let the Holy Spirit heal you, free you, let Christ forgive you, and walk in humility to the other side of that story because that's where freedom is found. Unfortunately, when we dig more into the story with Stephen right now, that's not where it goes. (laughs) They remained hard-hearted to God, and it got real ugly real quick. Let's continue the story. Now when they heard this, they were infuriated, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. That's how angry they were. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is one one of the only moments we see this happen, where he's looking at heaven. He's already glowing like an angel. He sees the image. He sees God, and he sees the Savior Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, "'Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God.' But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind." (laughs) It gets ugly, (laughs) you know, they're like, they're hard. They're like, ah, you know, they're like, stop speaking, you know, like that's how hard hearted these, these uh, Jews were. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. This is not a verse to bring out to say, see, marijuana is okay, right? Like, this is not like stoned, you know, like, I need to say that in this culture today, right? Because if you don't know the Bible, you're like, see, it says where it's okay to get stoned in the Bible. They were throwing large rocks at Stephen. It was actually a part of the Old Testament law that they were allowed to stone people as a part of judgment. What? I'm glad we're not in OT times, right? But here they were, and all their anger, all their their frustration, infuriated. They want to get rid of the message who's coming out of this messenger. And so they start throwing stones, and the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of this young man named who? Saul, we're going to see this character come up next week. Saul, a Jewish leader. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You can see how this parallels Jesus on the cross. They rejected Jesus, and now they're rejecting the message of Jesus. Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. And this is just their way of saying he died. He didn't take a nap, right? This wasn't temporary. They murdered Stephen. Listen, if you become a Christ follower, I'm just letting you know, you should expect persecution. And our, our words, our attitude could be like Stephen. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Their hearts, are, their hearts are hard. They don't know you the way I know you. And that we can show love and grace even in the midst of persecution. I know here at New Hope, we have lots of people, different stories, different backgrounds, different you know, different family of origin. I know we've got people here that that came from other denominations. They came from cults, people that came from um, different backgrounds. And when they left those, they experienced hardship because of it in their own families. They experienced judgment from the people that they left to experience real grace and a relationship with Christ. It still happens today. None of us are getting rocks thrown at us and getting murdered here in this point of history that we're at. In the United States, but that is still happening across the world. I've ever heard of this organization called ISIS. It's a religious organization that is directly opposed to Christianity. And even in this last year, it has grown in Africa. And uh, studying more about what's happening there, these Christ followers are being abducted. And just recently, 20 Christians had their throats slit on video and on camera because of their faith as an event to uh, avenge one of their ISIS leaders who was killed. This stuff happens today. Now here, we don't experience it at that level. We experience persecution more on a personal level, a relational level. And, um, and yet we can still choose in those moments to show love and grace. Persecution's never easy. But I tell you what. I'd rather be persecuted here and experience heaven forever than than kneel to peer pressure um, and miss out on eternity. If you face persecution in your own family... And some of you, you had a solid group of friends, and the things you did with your friends was more about partying and drinking and those kind of things. And when you became a Christ follower, you, you walked away from some of those friendships, and that was hard. And now they're judging you. Well, you're boring. You don't do this anymore. You don't do that. Like, you experience it that way. Right? There's different ways you experience it, but at, for us as Christ followers, we don't re- respond in anger. We don't point fingers back. We respond with love and grace, because they don't hopefully, they don't yet know what you've experienced in the freedom of Christ. And by you loving and showing grace in that relationship, you might be a pathway for them to experience Christ. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But either way, I want you to understand God is with you. And He'll give you strength in the middle of persecution, in the middle of those frustrations. And He'll remind you of what He's done for you. Because Christ was persecuted hung on a cross for you. And that persecution brought you freedom. I'm grateful that Christ was willing to do that for us, right? And he said the same things that that Stephen repeated. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Their hearts are hard. They're clueless about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. God, in their lives, you intercede and do things that we or I cannot do. All right, let me finish up here in Acts 8. Because this character that joined the scene, that they were laying their coats at the feet of this guy by the name of Saul. And this is where the story changes for the early church. Because before, they were experiencing freedom. They were going around and about. They were in great community. And all of a sudden, now Saul, he approved of putting Stephen to death. He's sitting there saying, yeah, get rid of this guy. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout where? Through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Some devout men buried Stephen and mourned loudly for him. But Saul, he began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and he would drag away men and women and put them in prison. Whoa! The freedom and joy and like, woo, we're all in this together now changed, right? Now they're in fear of what just happened to Stephen. And now they're afraid of this guy by the name of Saul. Like he's coming. He is the head of ISIS. He's the head terrorist that's coming door to door. He's the one that approved of Stephen being killed and he's trying to get rid of all of us. And he's going door to door, arresting men and women. He's like, whoever it is, men, women, kids, whatever. We got to get rid of this thing called the way. And so that is who Saul was right here in this story. Now, next week, we're going to learn a little bit more about Saul, okay? But we need to understand what is happening in this scene to prepare us for next week. Now, I have one last point. You can fill in the blank. God doesn't waste anything. He uses everything for his purposes. This persecution that broke out was the instigator for the church to not stay comfortable in Jerusalem. They had everything in common. They were generous with one another. They were unified in the Spirit. I mean, I'm telling you what, if you have that kind of experience, there's this natural tendency for us as human beings to want to stay inside our comfort zones, right? It's really easy for us to create holy huddles and then stay in our huddles. Like, I love these people, but not them, right? I'm going to stay here. We're comfortable. We're good. Everything's great. And that's what was happening in the church of Jerusalem here in the early church. They had all this stuff. They had unity in all these different ways. And God's blessing and favor and the Holy Spirit was working. They had all these things. But Acts 1-8, the commission from Jesus wasn't, so just stay in Jerusalem and just hang out and enjoy this. So said, no, no, I'm get, you need to go now to Judea and Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. This persecution that happened was the instigation of the sending of the church. Because now Judea and Samaria, they need to hear what Jesus did. And that's where we're going to jump into the story next week, in this new thing. And God does not waste anything. He doesn't waste He doesn't waste persecution. <laughs> He uses it for His purposes. The things that we go through in our life, persecution or difficulties or hardships or whatever it might be, God doesn't waste any part of our story. He wants to use every part of our story. The blessings, the encouragement, the great things we go through, and the hurting and the pain and the things we have to go through because of this broken world, like He will use all of it for His purposes and for His glory. And I'm glad that He does, because I would hate to go through bad things just because it's bad. As Christ followers, we can go through bad things, but we know we have hope. God's going to use this somehow. He's going to take what was bad in my life and use it for His purposes. Romans 8.28, right? And so today, for us, let's not let religion and tradition be our salvation. When God brings conviction, let's soften our hearts. Let's let God teach us. When we experience persecution, let's show love and grace to those around us. And let's wait patiently on God that he will use everything in our lives for his purposes. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I know it won't return um, uh, void, that it will go out. It always does and accomplishes what you want it to. And so this morning, I'm praying that your Holy Spirit has been working in each of our hearts and lives and whatever we needed to hear today, that our ears were open, our hearts were soft, and that you spoke it, God, straight to us. This morning, I pray first for those who are feeling uh, persecuted in their own life or they're going through a stressful or tense situation relationally or uh, in their workplace or wherever it might be, God. And I pray that you today would give them an extra um, uh, blessing of, of courage, of hope, and of strength. And that you would fill them with your love and grace so they can easily flow that out to those that, are, that they're struggling with. God, I want to pray for those in this room who have had hard hearts in their lives, and maybe today they're having a hard heart. God, by your gracious kindness, would you soften their hearts? Would you break some things loose that have just been so hardened that they might humble themselves and and pursue you and, and experience your grace and love in that situation that if it's sin, that they would confess it to you and receive forgiveness and be free from it. Whatever it is, God, just lead them on that journey. And God, as we see the story at the early church, I'm praying that you would just fill us daily with your spirit and that we would walk in your power and strength. We just thank you for your word today. And it's in Christ name we pray. Amen this is This is the turning point, so next week we're going to we're going to dig into the new season of what happens next uh, in the story in the book of acts and uh, our, our hope for you is that we're we're wanting to make